Webcast Metrics Local, WCML, is a premium market-specific audio measurement solution, enabling live and on-demand publishers to quantify the size and scale of digital audio at the local level. With this granular level of data, Webcast Metrics provides intelligence that enables more robust digital audio audience segmentation than ever before. Visit www.tritondigital.com to learn more. Alphonic is an automatic audio post-production web service, which brings your podcasts, lecturing conference recordings, radio shows, home videos, and screencasts up to professional audio standards and helps you distribute them online. First, you upload an audio or video file to the Alphonic website, either from your local hard drive or from a remote site. Alphonic then analyzes that file so it can process the audio in the best possible manner. For example, it can identify music and speech and handles them in different ways. An adaptive leveler detects and equalizes loudness differences, such as questions from the audience in a lecture, which appear at much lower levels than the lecturer's close mic voice. Global loudness normalization ensures that your production is perceived at a predictable loudness, according to the new EBU R128 standard, which is also used by professional broadcasting corporations. Various audio restoration algorithms remove disturbing artifacts, such as clipping, background noise, or annoying hums. If the background noise changes, Ophonic adapts itself accordingly. Your final production is encoded to whatever combination of output files you prefer. Alphonic supports all popular video and audio formats and makes it straightforward to add metadata such as licensing information. You can also provide chapter marks with your MP4, MP3 and Arc Vorbis files. The results can be picked up from the Alphonic website. Or you can add various external services to your account, including YouTube, Dropbox, SoundCloud and Secure FTP so Alphonic can upload your production to these sites in a single step. So register for a free Alphonic account today to find out how it can shorten your workflow and make your production sound better. SBS live streams and podcasts are supported by advertising. Hi, I'm Adam Liao and I'm excited to share with you my new cookbook, Seven Days of Dinner. Featuring more than 80 recipes from my SBS series, The Cook-Up, this collection has the answers for your dinner every night of the week. From meat-free Mondays and Taco Tuesdays to Thursday night pastas and Sunday roasts. Full of simple, affordable and achievable recipes, this book is the perfect companion for every Australian kitchen. Seven Days of Dinner from Hardy Grant Books. Order now. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we work the Yalukut Wheelam clan of the Bunwarung Nam. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging as we try to live up to their example as storytellers. Well, I guess this is it. The last episode of The Idiom. I've been trying to figure out what I've learned this past season and I guess when I think on it, I would say that... What the... It is I, the Pale Rider, King Yama, the Grim Reaper. Wait, the Grim Reaper? Are you... 
the psychopomp, Thanatos, Megira. All right, are you done? Sorry, I've just never been on a podcast before. Exciting. <laughs> I know, right? It's super exciting. You get to get on tape. I love it. I am death. Yeah, I figured, Mr. Death. But why are you here? I am here for you. It is your time. No, 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 no. My time for what? I am not ready. I think it's time to walk the dog, maybe. Not death. You go away. I got too much to live for. Such as? Uh, I mean, I, I, I gotta finish this episode. This is the one where, you know, I, I I'm just tie everything together and, I, you know, I share what I've learned and... And what have you learned? I feel like I still have 20 minutes to figure it out. So be it. I shall return for you exactly at the end of this episode. Use your remaining time wisely. I can do this. It's just a deadline. I can meet a deadline. How do I meet a deadline? I don't know if I can do this. Hey, Stefan. Sorry, can you come out of the production booth for a moment? I had something really weird just happen to me. You used to be a journalist. Can you talk to me about deadlines? Ah, well, a deadline as a journalist is the sort of North Star from which you live your entire existence. <laughs> It's sort of the engine of your productivity as well as just bone-numbing terror. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> is that too dramatic? Well, perhaps, but that's the question. Is it too dramatic? I think so. Like the deadline, interestingly, uh, I think first came out during the American Civil War and it was literally a deadline. Like they would put a bunch of prisoners together on the dirt and they would draw a line around them. This is like 18 and if people cross that line, they would get shot. So it was like, this is the deadline. If you pass this line, you will become dead. You will stop being alive. So in that case, I think the term deadline is appropriately dramatic because that's, you know, quite final. The fact that you cross the line <laughs> and you pass away. What's interesting is that now we sort of use that to mean a thing that I have to get done at work today. My deadline to perform this task. And look, frankly, I think perhaps maybe it is slightly overdramatic to use what used to be physically cross this line and you will cease to be a living person as just to mean oh, I've got to get my work done by five. Okay, so what should I really be worried about? I think you should worry less about the daily deadlines of human existence and just worry about that one big one at the end. And look at it? Yeah, I think so. I think you should look at it. I think we spend a lot of time talking about those little stresses throughout our lives and not enough time talking about what we're going to look back on at the end. Stefan made me feel a little bit less stressed about this deadline, but not less stressed about actually dying. So I invited Kimba Griffith on the podcast, who knows much more about death than, I guess, most people. So I'm Kimber. I live in Melbourne and have lived here for a long time. And I am the co-founder of The Last Hurrah Funerals in Thornbury. And part of my work is a ceremonialist, funeral director and a death doula. I'm really curious to understand, how do you help people come to terms with their mortality? I think it depends on the person. It depends where they're at. It depends, you know, how they intersect with me. So a lot of people contact me because someone has died, it might be someone they love or someone they have to care for. There's, you know, that's an interesting thing in itself. We often in the industry say loved one, but, you know, 
they're not always. So that's one way. So I'm helping someone who's still alive to deal with someone else's death. Then we're contacted by people who have a life-limiting diagnosis and they might want to plan a funeral. Um, And those people, I normally shock them a bit because I say, oh, yeah, that's easy, the funeral part, and you're not going to be there, so it's abstract. But what about the dying part? How's that going for you? And they're like, because, you know, not everyone's prepped for that conversation, but that's another way, just, you know, inviting the conversation. And then the last way is people who actually know they're dying and they want to sort of, you know, really jump in with someone and kind of get into the like nuts and bolts of what that's going to look like for them. What kind of experience do you have with language around death? That's a really interesting one because we are sort of in the practice of, I suppose, doing away with some of the idioms we use in our culture. Like the typical one is uh, the term they passed away. So that's what like everyone uses. I never use it. I don't believe in it. I don't like it. And I don't think it's necessary. Of course, when someone says that to me, I don't like tell them. I don't like that. It's just when I speak about death and dying, the person died. When someone says passed away, I'm like, well, where did they pass away to? Like what there's such a, you know, interesting, I mean, creatively or kind of metaphorically, that could be a great thing to muse on. But really, it just like takes us away from what really happened, which is someone died, you know. So that's one of the ones that we really kind of work on changing from the inside. So I won't say that to any family member who comes along. But when I write a ceremony, I always use the word died or death. Um, the other one that we typically work on is this concept, I already mentioned it, of the loved one, which there's a great book by Evelyn Waugh written in the 40s called The Loved One, which is all about the funeral industry. And like, it still rings so true today. But that concept of like, when someone dies, they become your loved one, you know. Now, look, often they are your loved one, but they're not always. Like people have to organize funerals for their abusers sometimes because they're the only person that is there to do it, you know, or They might have a really complicated relationship with someone. So by just suddenly calling them, oh, your loved one, it just negates that person's experience, probably makes them more uncomfortable with having to organize the funeral. And I just think it's not that kind of supportive of family constellations. So we just call them your person, like for good or for bad, they're your person. And um, that works really well. What are some of the idioms that you know about? Oh, well, I made a little list here. To be honest, the best one I've ever come across was Monty Python Flying Circus, the, the dead parrot sketch, right? So, and I, I actually got some of the script here because like, it's just the best list. Like he's passed on, he's no more, he's ceased to be, he's expired and gone to meet his maker. He's a stiff, bereft of life, rests in peace, hmm. um, pushing up daisies. This one's a bit more rare, but his metabolic processes are now history. Yeah, he's kicked the bucket, shuffled off this mortal coil, run down the curtain and joined the bleeding choir invisible. This is an ex-parrot. I love that one. I actually want to steal that. So, well, obviously kicked the bucket, wouldn't be caught dead in that, passed away. Yep, loved one, celebration of life. The last hurrah, which is what we called ourselves, that's an idiom, dead set and fuck me dead. (laughs) <laughs> which is a very Australian thing to say. <laughs> It does sound very Australian, yeah. <laughs> Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Why do you think humans created idioms to talk about death? 
I think just for, like you said, and as you explored in your great first episode, that, you know, they do relate to like taboos or or things that are a bit hard to come at. Or, I mean, also, I just think we're very creative as a creative animals. You know, I think we probably create idioms in Australia. I mean, I can't think of a place we don't have an idiom, you know, but I guess it's just about how do we come at a concept that's very, very difficult. And again, I'll come back to say that it's not that we don't want to talk about death and dying in our culture, because that's a common thing. People always say, why don't we want to talk about death? And I'm like, you know what? I don't see that. I just see that people don't have the right invitation to talk about it, or they're not in a space that feels safe to talk about it. They actually really want to, like everyone's fascinated by death because we're all going to do that one day. But I think it's, you know, just a symptom of if you haven't got a safe space in Australia, particularly, and I'm sure there's other things in different cultures, you'll just kind of make make a light of it, you know, and making light of something's great. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And in our industry, gallows humor is one of the main ways we get through because what we do is very hard. So yeah, we definitely go down that dark humor path a lot. How do people talk about death and how does it change as they approach death? Well, I think one of the big things is people who are dying don't say, I'm going to pass away. <laughs> I've noticed that. Mm. They don't. They say, I'm going to die soon. Or, you know, they might say, I don't know how much longer I've got. Or, you know, I'm not long for this world or, you know, things like that. But pretty much they just say, normally they say, I want to talk about my funeral. So in a way, the funeral itself has become an idiom for people to talk about their death because it feels like you're organizing a party, you know. And that's why I always say, like, that's great. That bit's easy. Like, go as visionary as you want because you're not going to be there unless, of course, you have a living wake, which we recommend but is hard to do. So, yeah, I think they're quite direct about it when they come to the point of talking to me. Now, obviously, there's people that don't, you know, like my dad, for example, he died in 2020. And he had a long journey with cancer and was a very positive guy. He he never like looked up his cancer on the internet or went on a forum or joined a support group or he just like lived his life, listened to his doctor, did whatever they said. And like he did very well actually. But when it came like time to acknowledge that like, you know, he's going to die soon, he just didn't want to go there at all, especially not with me. I was like, do not go there with him. And you know, I had to respect that. That was his way of getting through it. And I remember that, you know, on his deathbed, when he, you know, was in his last little bit, like an hour or so before he died, he looked at me and he said, you know, I don't like this. And I said, well, you know, you have to let go. And that was like a really, that was the work because dying is, can be really hard work, you know. So not everyone is going to look at their mortality before they die. And that's okay. You know, like it's great if you can, but it's not like you have to do it either. Like everyone's just doing their best. I'm really curious. How do you deal with someone who is terrified of death? To be honest, one of the main reasons I did get into this work probably was that I'm terrified of dying. And, you know, that's weird. I'm the kind of person that runs towards the thing that terrifies them, which, you know, is weird, but I can kind of understand it. And also there's just so many different ways to die and you can have a very peaceful dying or you can have a not peaceful dying, whether or not you've addressed your fear, whether or not you've been open to your mortality. I just think we don't know. It is the great mystery, but of course, attending to your possible death is probably, you know, the best way to have 
the best chance of a better experience. But, you know, yeah, death's, death is scary. And I, I just think that platitudes or maybe idioms around that, you know, like passed away sounds very soft, doesn't it? Mm. Passed away to where, where, wherever you want, you know. And if, if that would help someone, like if I could tell that someone needed that who was dying, I, I might use it then, right? But when they've already gone, I probably wouldn't. But, you know, I just think we need to be really open to the fact that it is the great unknown, and which is an idiom, and therefore we can't really hope or, you know, we, we may not be able to impact someone's experience of it. What should I think about when I have to face my own mortality? So I think there's a philosophical component and a practical component. And probably the practical one is maybe easier to start with, which is like, what do you want to happen to you when you die? And who should you be telling about that? A couple of tips on that. Don't just tell one person because then that one person might be like, this is what they want. And so, oh, they didn't tell me that. And, you know, it can create family dramas. So it's better if you... You don't, like, you can be really organized. Like, look, if I'm being, like, best practice, I'd be like, do your advanced care plan, do your medical power of attorney, do all those things. But, look, let's be honest, I haven't done mine because I'm, like, Mm. the plumber who never fixes the tap. (laughs) But what I have done is I've done, like, a kind of non-official document about what I want and I update it. I'm going to have to do it again because I'm going to Cuba next month. So, you know, about what happens if I die or also what happens if I can't communicate or I can't understand or if I'm being peg fed, I've got, I mean, knowing my job, I've got a big list. But even if you just start with like, what do you want to happen when you die or if you can't communicate and just tell a number of people about that. And also when you're thinking about your aspirational funeral that you're not going to be at, It might be nice if you consider the means that are there for you to have that because, for example, we had someone recently who left instructions for a sea burial, which is quite difficult but not impossible to do, and they wanted like, you know, this whole like, and the hearse takes me along the Great Ocean Road all the way, you know, and the fact of the matter is that you have to go to Warrnambool and you need to put a week aside for the conditions to be right You've got to go to the continental shelf and you've got to, you know, store and there's all this stuff, which of course, you know, if you're not in the industry, you might not know, but like even just the idea of it's quite a big idea and it's probably going to cost $25,000, you know, so because some people get really like they want to make sure that what's in that person's final wishes is done, but that's one thing and it could be hard. Or the other thing is if you leave no instructions at all and you never have the chat then people are thrown into turmoil about what to do for you when you die. So, you know, if you can just start with that, that's great. And then on a philosophical, on the other hand, philosophical hand, you know, just to sit for like even a minute and just know that you are going to die and that is very abstract and see how it feels. Yeah. Can you share any advice to have better communication around death? I think when someone dies, we are very, we, we, we don't know what to say, right? So sometimes people say dumb stuff that they didn't really think through, like, you know, I know just how you feel. Well, no, you don't, because like, even if someone's died for you, you don't know how that person's feeling. You don't know all the array of subtleties and intricacies that are in their mind around that person's death. Other people, because they don't know what to say, 
they avoid the person. It happens very, very often, you know, like people drop away when someone dies. And it's like, I always say in my ceremonies at the end, I say, it doesn't matter if you don't know what to say. Just say, I don't know what to say. Or I'm so sorry, there are no words for this, you know, and that just the person's like, yes, there aren't, you know, and that's a connecting point. So I think that's a big thing around dying. And just, yeah, just like maybe try saying died instead of passed away and see how that feels, you know, and see if that uh, allows you to kind of touch reality a little bit more. It might make you more sad, but that's actually okay because dying sucks and it's very sad (laughs) and that that is the truth of it, you know. So, yeah, I think that's a couple, just a couple of ways people could look at their language around death and dying. Is there anything you would like to share that we haven't been around? I just think, you know, um, with the whole idioms thing, even though I've spent the entire episode dismantling why we have idioms and so on, I think, you know, the more creative ones can be really comforting, you know, like the dead parrot sketch. Actually, someone read that out at their dad's funeral the other day and then instead of parrot, they inserted the word dad. It was brilliant I'd, and everyone loved it, you know, and it was like we weren't in a way because it's at the end of the day it's all like saying over and over and over and over again that this thing's dead, right? So I just thought that was magic. So I think where the idiom is comforting and it's playful or it's conscious, go for it. But where it's unconscious, culturally driven, like kind of we've just been anaesthetized into this way of speaking about it maybe they're the ones and they're very hard to do like I don't say passed away anymore but some of our staff are still unlearning that you know because it's just so embedded in us and at the other day if you want to say passed away like it's just my opinion but I think yeah let let idioms and language be a a vehicle for comfort and for laughter because like at the end of the day like sometimes all you can do is laugh Yeah, that's all right. Really? Yeah. I got to a good place. As Kimber says, idioms and language are great vehicles for comfort and laughter. Idioms can desensitize us or make us feel things more. They can also help us navigate dicey waters and tiptoe around taboos. Idioms can spark some really good conversations and open doors to other perspectives. They can also stir up a little bit of confusion, but weave us together once we crack their code. And I think that's pretty profound. The Idiom is a production of ThinkHQ Cultureverse and SBS. It's hosted by me, Rune Pedersen, produced by Jacob Ages, Boray Chan, Jake M, and Stefan Delatovic, and written by me and Stefan Delatovic. The SBS team is Caroline Gates, Joel Supple, and Max Gosford. And our artwork is by Wendy Tang. Thanks for joining me on this season of The Idiom. Go and listen to all the episodes if you haven't already. And if you enjoyed it, perhaps uh, tell a stranger on a bus. Follow and review us wherever you found this podcast and tell us your favorite idiom at theidiom at sbs.com.au. If you're looking to streamline your audio advertising buys and maximize your revenue, look no further than Triton Digital's programmatic audio advertising exchange, A2X. 
The private exchange consists of only licensed broadcasters and top-tier internet radio publishers, assuring the quality inventory and brand safety you can trust. Visit www.tritondigital.com to learn more.